our series on the New Covenant. Today we're going to be covering trust and spirituality. Trust and spirituality. The two are surprisingly interlocked. And we'll discover that this morning. Matthew chapter 6, starting with verse 25, and we'll go to verse 34. A familiar passage to most of us. There's certainly a lot in here that we could dwell on and talk about this morning. Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat, and the body than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you by taking thought can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they toil not, neither do they spin, And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Or let the day's own cares be sufficient for the day. Amen. We're going to cover three kind of general ideas that we find in this passage of Scripture. Doubt, trust, and spirituality. Amen. Doubt, sometimes called negative faith, faith in reverse, goes by several terms, phrases. But this is basically where we don't actually believe God will do what he said he would do. Our faith is in something else other than God. We all have faith. Even people in the world have faith. And they express it all the time with their belief systems, their idea that God simply can't exist. That's faith. But faith in the wrong thing. We all have faith and it's going to be placed somewhere. Doubt is when we have faith in something else other than God. We're doubting because our faith is somewhere else. Our faith is in the doctors. Our faith is in the government. Our faith is in someone, some person. Faith is in myself, in my own strength and in my own abilities. But when my faith is put in God, what I'm saying is, I'm trusting that he's going to do what he said he was going to do. If I'm trusting him for salvation, I'm trusting that the finished work of Jesus at Calvary is sufficient for my sins, for all that I've done. It's it's sufficient to cover all of that. When I'm trusting in God for a healing, 
I'm trusting not only that he can, but that he will heal me in my time of need. When I'm trusting him for provision, I'm trusting that in the day of my need, that's going to be taken care of. Why do I trust in him? Why do I trust that those things will happen? It's not hope. It's something more than hope. If that's all I have, I mean, that's that'll get me through a tough situation maybe, but it's not going to take care of my need. I've hoped for all kinds of things in the past that never came true. When I graduated high school, it was my hope that I'd be a millionaire someday. I thought it was a good plan. Uh, it wasn't a plan. <laughs> I had no plan. Just a hope. Just a desire for lots of money. Well, I discovered that hope just wasn't enough. We need to put a little bit more behind that. So hope, hope in God is good. We ought to hope in God. But if that's all we have, it's not sufficient. I trust in God because that hope translates into action. I have promises in the Word of God that He's given me. He has bound Himself to those promises. And if He said it, it's going to happen. If He said He was going to provide for me, I can trust that He's going to provide for me providing that I meet my end of the bargain. We see in the Scripture text, for example, all these things shall be added unto you. Fantastic. But first, I've got to seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness. If I will, then He will. If I'm doing that, I can expect and trust. It's not arrogance. I'm not being arrogant when I when I claim that promise. But I am being bold. And I can be bold because I have that assurance that when God promises me something, it's going to happen. Doubt is the opposite of that. Where for one reason or another, I don't believe that he's going to do it. Why do Christians not pray? You'd think that'd be an oxymoron. Christians, there are, there are Christians that don't pray because they don't believe in the power of prayer. They've prayed and nothing happened. So it doesn't work. Well, there's all kinds of things I could say about that, but We have so many promises concerning prayer. And either A, the promises are not true, or B, I'm doing something wrong. I would like to believe that I'm doing something wrong. Because if, if it's, (laughs) if the promises are not true, 
I mean, do you realize what connotations that holds? Then we are wasting our time here. We are. If there's anything in that book that's not true, none of it's true. And if that's the case, dismissed. I'm out of here. Yeah. But they are true. The book is true. And because of that, we have every assurance that when we, when we step on that, when we make that our foundation, when we're trusting in the Lord God to honor those promises, he will do that. He's a man of his word. He didn't say it because he wasn't going to do it. He said it because he was absolutely going to do it. So we can't allow ourselves to have any area of doubt when it comes to Scripture, when it comes to the promises of God, when it comes to our relationship with Him. And that's where relationship comes in, doesn't it? If I know the Lord God, if I have a relationship with Him, I will trust in Him. It's hard to trust in someone you don't know. You can to a point, maybe, but when it comes down to it, I'm not going to tell a stranger my deepest, darkest secrets. I'm just not. I don't know you. I don't know what you're going to do with that information. But I can trust in God. I know Him. I understand what His character is. I understand who He is. And so I trust Him. I understand that he's a man of his word. Trusting in God is much more than lip service. There's action involved. There's action involved. I can't just say I trust God and then stop right there. If I trust God, that's going to translate into some kind of action. I'm going to do something with that. If I trust God in prayer, I'm going to pray. If I trust God for provision, I'm going to ask Him for provision. If I trust that the Word of God is true, I'm going to follow it. Yeah, the Word of God's true. And then I go live like the devil. Something's not right there. We've got to be willing to apply God's word in real world scenarios, no matter the cost to us. And that is, that is, an issue that I've encountered, and you probably have too. We have the Word of God. It's powerful. It's, it's living. It's everything that we need. It's our answer for every situation. It's, it's, it's everything. It's the foundation of all reality. 
And whatever situation we find ourselves in, we can find an answer in that, in that book. But applying that to our lives is sometimes really difficult. How do I apply it? I hear what you're saying, preacher, but how does that apply to me? How do I translate that information into something actionable? Something I can do and apply? That's sometimes really difficult, and it's not always apparent how to do that. How to apply these principles that we find in the Word of God to the situation I find myself in. But that's exactly what we have to do. And not only for ourselves, but we have to be ready when someone comes to us with a problem, we have to be ready to, to be able to apply Scripture to their situation and help them through a situation. That's what ministry is. It's good to trust in God. Now, I can say that because I've tried both ways. Experientially, I can tell you that it's good to trust in God. Now, that's not going to mean a whole lot to someone on the street who's never even heard of of these scriptures. It's good to trust in God. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Maybe not. When we look at Scripture, are there any instances in Scripture where we see that God failed? Not one time. Is there someone in Scripture that trusted God and later regretted it? I can tell you from my personal experience, I've never regretted trusting in God. I've regretted not trusting in God. I have never regretted putting my hope and my faith and my confidence in God. Is there someone in Scripture that has not trusted in God and later were glad that they never trusted in Him? No. Every time someone in Scripture failed to trust in God, they always regretted it. All through the Bible, we see examples of people who both trusted in God and people who failed to trust in God. And we can look at their examples and learn from them. (laughs) My pastor told me one time, and this is really funny to me because he was telling us about my my ex-fiance. That's a... Funny scenario, but uh, in any case, uh, she came out and said, "Did she came into the room? She was gone for a while. Did you miss me?" And uh, Pastor said, "Well, you know, some people brighten a room when they enter it. Some people brighten a room when they leave the room." <laughs> And I could never really tell if he was joking or if he was serious. But uh, there's some polite chuckles, and but everyone's like, oh, ah. <laughs> I like that story. 
Where was I going with that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's just a fun story to tell. Um, we can learn from everybody. Everybody has something to teach us, even if what not to do. So when we look at these various examples in Scripture, uh, even the most heinous, cruel, wicked people in Scripture have something to teach us. When we look at the story of Adam and Eve, they walked with God and everything was great until they stopped walking with God and started going after their own, their, their own direction. They needed to discover and understand good and evil for themselves outside of God's revelation. And we know what happened after that. Everything happened after that. The ten spies. They failed to trust in God to deliver the Canaanites into their hand. And they paid the price for it by walking in the wilderness until they were dead. In fact, Numbers chapter 14, verses 11 through 12, this is how God responded to their lack of faith. And the Lord said unto Moses, how long will this people provoke me? And how, how long will it be ere they believe me for all the signs which I have sowed among them? I will smite them with the pestilence and disinherit them and will make of thee a greater nation and mightier than they. So here's something I would say interesting, but I think it's too scary to be just interesting. How God views this. When we have lived for God for a while and we have experienced God in his fullness, the miracles and the signs and the, the great wonders that he does through us each and every day, when we've experienced uh, God's ministry through us to someone else, the words just come out. How many, have, how many have just talked to someone and the words just start coming out? They're not you. You know that. <laughs> Sometimes you're using words you don't even know what they mean. But... They're coming out, and it's it's just what they needed to hear. It's an awesome thing. And when you pray for someone, and you start praying things that, you know, God puts things in your mind to pray for, all of these things, and, and you experience the presence of God, and you experience the mercy of God, after a while we become responsible for that. All that he's given us, we've got to do something with that. It's a responsibility that he's given us. And we can't just experience all of that and enjoy all of that. And then, I don't know if he's going to come through this time. Every time we, we encounter a tough situation. And I please understand, when I say things like that, I'm not making light of anyone's situation. Okay? I understand that, you know, different personalities respond to things in different ways. The things that will make my wife fall apart are water off a duck's back to me, and vice versa. There are things that will make me fall apart, and she's like, what's wrong? What's going on? And so I understand that dynamic. But when we encounter those things that make us want to fall apart, we know that previously the Lord helped us. The Lord delivered us. The Lord provided. The Lord took care of the situation. Why is he going to let us fall this time? 
I don't worship, I don't serve a psychotic God. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. If he did it for me then, he'll do it for me now. If he did it for you, he'll do it for me. And so we can trust that. But when we get in the middle of a situation, we find ourselves struggling with that. But we can't do that. It displeases God. It would displease me. How many times have I come through for you, son? And you still don't trust me? If my kids did that, are you going to have enough money to buy food this week, Dad? Are you going to have enough money to pay the heating bill? We've always had enough money. What? Where is this even coming from? Oh, I'm just really scared that... Why? <laughs> That's never been a problem. The things that we experience with God teach us that we don't have to worry about these things. We can trust in him to take care of them. I don't want to be displeasing to him. I want to please him with my response to these scenarios. And what pleases God is when we trust him. When we trust him. Now, does the answer come immediately? Not all the time. Sometimes we're going through things for a reason. But we still have to trust in God that that's a good reason. When I go through it, when I go through some things, it's for my refining. It's for my perfecting. I need that. I'm not perfect yet. So until I am, I'm going to need to go through these things from time to time. So God can take these awful things out of me and put good things into me. I need to trust that he knows what he's doing. And then I'm going to be in that situation long enough to see God's purpose fulfilled. I need to trust him in those situations as well. The kings of Judah and Israel. We see all kinds of examples here. When they served God, when they were obedient to God and they trusted in him for deliverance from their enemies, they had victory. They had success. They had blessing. When they trusted in the strength of their own arm, when they went to the other nations to secure help from them outside of God, they failed. They were conquered. Noah, his trust was in God even though rain had never occurred. No one had ever even heard of water falling from the sky. God said that's what's going to happen and it's going to flood the entire world. Okay, sounds good. Need you to build an ark. You got it. He just did it. And that led to the salvation of him and his family. Abraham, God told him to kill, kill the promise. Kill the promised son. Give him back to me. Okay. He didn't hesitate. The Bible says he rose up early in the morning. Started on his way. When the knife was coming down, that's when God told him to stop. And he even told the guys when he was going up the mountain, we're both going to come back down. 
In Hebrews, it says he trusted that God was able to raise him up from the dead, if that's what was required. Why? Because he had a promise, and he trusted in God to keep that promise. This is the promised son. This is the son that all the, all the generations of the earth are going to be blessed through. This is the son whose descendants are going to inherit Canaan, the promised land. This is the son that the promises are going to be fulfilled through. That's what God said. God said that. So that's what's going to happen. And if, if I end up killing him up here, this is the promised son. Something is going to happen to, to keep that going. God will raise him up from the dead. God will stop it. God will do something to make that happen anyway. Because he had a promise from God. And everything was wrapped up in that. Moses had faith that in God that never wavered, no matter what impossible situation Israel was placed in. Moses always went to the Lord. He did his own thing one time. He paid the price for that too. But every other time, he did what he was told. He did what the Lord instructed him to do, and he was continually blessed. In this, we're commanded two distinct things. One, we've got to focus our energy and our attention on God's kingdom and his business. The second is to trust in God for our daily natural provision. Okay, like I said earlier, what does that mean exactly? How does that play out in my life? How do I apply that? How do I do that day to day? Again, it's more than paying God lip service. We're required to actually follow our beliefs through with action. Okay, what action? Well, before we get into that, we need to understand something else. And that's the preeminence of the spiritual world. We're, we're going to spend just a moment on this here. When we understand that the spiritual world supersedes or takes precedence over the natural world, we can get a better understanding of how all of this works. We see in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty, through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Okay, so here we get a glimpse of one huge difference between the two, the natural and the spiritual. We see by contrast here that the spiritual is mighty through God. The spiritual is strong. It represents strength, vitality, immortality, potency, solidity. The natural is depicted as weak. Weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty, indicating that they're weak. They're largely ineffective. They're impotent. They're temporary. They're transient. Okay, this is an important understanding. The spiritual is more important than the natural. God gives precedence to the spiritual. We see that played out all the time, in Scripture and in our own lives. Now keep in mind, this is from the perspective of the spiritual. Okay, We can't achieve results purely from the natural. Okay, We can't get some results from the natural. 
There are entire churches that are built on this principle. Someone's personality, someone's talent. You can amass a great big crowd. They're called cults. You can get a great big crowd of people with a winning personality. But that's all you're going to have. There'll be no spirituality in that church. There'll be no true potency of spirit in that church. It'll be a collection of people. Paying tithes and offerings to the, the personality. As an example, let's use an alcoholic. Through strength of will, I can decide to abstain from alcohol for the rest of my life. People do it. They go through the 12-step program. They're careful where they go, what they see, what they do. They're accountable to someone. And they can stop drinking. They're not delivered from it. They're, they're always going to be an alcoholic. And all it's going to take is one drink for me, and I'm, I'm flung right back into it. But every day I can decide I'm not going to touch it. I'm not going to touch that drink. I'm not going to touch drink. But it's always going to be there for me. It's always going to be tempting me. And I've got to resist that. That I can do in the natural. But that's all I can do. The effect is in the natural. My body is still addicted to it and it still craves it. I think less and less as time goes on, but it's still there. I have no deliverance, only, only cessation of the activity. If we are to achieve true lasting changes in both the natural and the spiritual, we've got to use spiritual means. As an example, deliverance from alcoholism. This cannot be achieved in the natural. It just can't. But God can completely deliver someone from alcoholism. He can even make it so that your body looks like it's never even touched a drop. He can take the, the addiction away, the craving away. He can take every physiological, biological, chemical uh, alteration that takes place. He can take that all away and make it brand new. But that transformation is a spiritual transformation. It happens through spiritual means. The effect is in the natural. My body no longer craves it. My body is no longer addicted to it. My liver is brand new. So we see the effects of it in the natural, but the, the, the causation is in the spiritual. A lot of things we see in the natural are the result of activity in the spiritual. Some examples I thought of just off the top of my head. People pray against a strip club, and one day you notice it went out of business. You ever hear of stories like that? Pray against a bar, and it burns down. <laughs> Well, isn't that a strange coincidence? Good thing for us, huh? That those coincidences take place. No, not at all. There's no coincidence there. It was a natural occurrence 
you know, you could you could cite you know bad economics in the area, people losing jobs, uh high taxes on the business, you know, whatever whatever it is. But we know that in the spiritual some things took place. Some things were settled in the spiritual. It may have taken a while for the effects to translate over to the natural, but they did, and they will. This is how things work. This is how reality operates. You're obedient to Scripture, you pay your tithes and offerings, and God begins to bless you in your finances. Again, well, this is a great, this is a great coincidence. Or maybe, when I'm obedient in the spiritual things, God blesses me in the natural things. My obedience is a spiritual act. But I'm being blessed in the natural. I pray for someone's salvation, and they just, happen to end up in a situation that is the perfect catalyst for them to come to God. <clears throat> it's a natural occurrence. Something happens to them in the natural. But only because some things were settled in the spiritual realm. We are spiritual creatures. As children of God, we are spiritual creatures. And we have got to learn, one, that there's all kinds of activity going on in the spiritual realm. We can't see it. We typically don't get any glimpses into that realm. But that doesn't mean it's not real. That doesn't mean there's all kinds of things going on there right now. In this building, it looks pretty calm and collected, but in the spirit, there's battles going on. There's angels and demons warring right now. There's demons trying to talk to some of you. There's all kinds of things happening. And so understanding that, that it is a very active place. The other thing we need to understand is if we're going to do anything real, if we're going to do anything lasting, anything permanent, it's going to happen in the spiritual. We're going to see the effects of it in the natural. That's what we want to see. But it's not because of anything we do in the natural. The effects are first going to be settled spiritually, in the spirit, through prayer and through fasting, through calling out on Jesus Christ. After we've done that, after we've settled the battle spiritually, then we start to see the effects naturally. Whatever that is we're praying for. We are spiritual creatures, and we have got to be comfortable operating in the spirit. There are there are so many ways to explain away uh, or to rationalize our lack of spirituality. 
And what I mean by lack of spirituality is, uh, I'll, I'll use this. My brother is, he was backslid for a while. He came back a couple years ago. He's doing really good now. But he has a ton of questions. And his questions are really pointed. And initially, they were really cool. I loved answering them. I loved discussing these things with him. But eventually, I got to the place, and he wouldn't mind me saying this. Eventually, I got to the place where I'm like, dude, you need to start doing something with this. It's really easy to, you know, sit back here and that's wrong and that's wrong. I would do that differently. Why is this happening? And, you know, initially there were fair enough questions, but now I'm to the point where, well, why don't you do something and show them how to do it right? Show them how to pray. Show them how to worship. Show them how to minister to people. And uh, he got a little quiet, knowing I was right, wanting to me to be wrong. <laughs> but let's translate that to the church in general. It's really easy to make excuses for things. Why am I not in this particular ministry? Why is my family member not being saved? Why are my prayers not being answered? Why is this not happening? Why is that not happening? And rather than look to myself, it's really easy for me to look to anything else. Anything else. Uh the church is small, so we can't do that. Uh, I don't have a lot of time because I, I work. I get that. <laughs> I work. Uh, it's tough. I don't, I can't, I can't do it because of this. I can't do it because of that. And so I would suggest moving forward rather than making excuses for why things aren't happening. And I'm not saying anyone is, okay? I, I've not heard any of you say anything like this. Okay, so, so don't get that idea. But moving forward, uh, if you see something wrong, if you see something that you would like to, to, to be different, be the change. If you'd like to see us pray more, start praying more. We are going to be praying more, but, uh, that's going to be very important. But start praying more. Uh, you don't think people are, are good soul winners. Start being a soul winner. Uh, you know, rather than, rather than, sometimes, the things that we want to see changed only happen through great sacrifice. Sacrifice of time. Sacrifice of energy. Sacrifice of money. There are, Lee Stone King gives an example of one guy he saw healed. Sometimes, he'll just 
slap a oil dripping hand on a forehead and, and God heals him. Other times, he's got to spend hours and hours in prayer. There was one time he said he brought some uh, young people to a hospital and they were praying for a guy. They laid on the floor at the hospital for six hours praying. And after six hours, God healed the person. How many of us are willing to lay on a hospital floor for six hours waiting on an answer from God? And that's the point I'm trying to make. We're busy. We don't have the time to do that. We're whatever it is. When we as a people can get to the place where we're willing to spend six hours in prayer, where we're willing to spend uh, more than our tithes to see something happen, when we're willing to to come in early and stay late and, and, and use our talents for the kingdom of God versus some other thing, when we, when we get to the place where we want to see God move no matter what, that's when we can 